Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Welcome on this Independence Day week that we enter into. And uh, I wasn't sure what to expect on this day at River of Life. I know a lot of people have a long weekend here, but it's great to see you all here. And to be able to fellowship together, to be able to worship together, and be in His Word um, together this morning. So let's lean in well today. Let's press in well to the Lord and and seek Him in a way that... uh, that we haven't before in the past, perhaps, in our life. And let's, let's look for him. Well, we're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance here at River Life Alliance Church. And we have a great missionary force that is out around the world. And today, this weekend, is ministering to thousands and thousands of people beyond just this church here. We're, we're part of this fellowship that is, is uh, worshiping and seeking Jesus together uh, around the world. It's a privilege to be a part of that. And uh, we have almost 800 missionaries that are kind of commissioned. They're out there and they're serving. And next week, I want to let you know about uh, one that will be here with us. Uh, you may know uh, Jeff Singfield. This is uh, Patty and Doug Grogan's uh, son-in-law. And he's going to be here and he's going to share with us, and bring the word to us next Sunday morning. Uh, but we look forward to that. They serve in Kosovo. And uh, so when they come, let's welcome them. And uh, they were here, I think, about four years ago. So some of you might recognize them and, and remember Jeff and his, his family from that time. I'm sure the kids have grown. Maybe some have been born since then. But uh, it, it'll be an honor to be able to have them share. And uh, we'll hear more about what the Lord's doing in Kosovo next week. So let's look forward to that. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you open them to John chapter 6? John chapter 6, as we continue on in our Summer Seek series, where we press into Jesus in a unique way this summer, as we look at the I Am statements out of the book of John. We find another one in John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25, where Jesus is having a conversation with the crowds. And they go back and forth four different times, four different volleys, where the crowd says something to Jesus, and Jesus gives them a response, and that response, as usual, is not quite what they expected. So let's look for those as we read, starting in verse 25 of John 6. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So then they said to him, What must we do to be good, or sorry, to do, to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should, not lose, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Lord Jesus, that's your word, and we believe it, and we stand on it. Lord, we want to stake our very lives on your word. Lord, your call from the beginning has been, follow me. Come and follow me. It's how you called the first disciples, and it's your very call to us. And God, this morning, we want to follow you. We want to follow you to where we weren't expecting to go. We want to follow you into the places that bring us life. And we know that when we follow you, you will bring us to life. You will bring us to great places. You will do things in us that we weren't expecting. Jesus, speak to us today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. In August of 2012, there was a church in an impoverished neighborhood in St. Louis that had an idea. And in this idea, there may have been some mixed motives, I don't know, but they had this concept of this area where it's difficult for impoverished people to gain banking, banking access. And so they thought if we could get debit cards to them, where they could put amounts of money on these debit cards, they had hooked up with a bank that would also provide a $500 food certificate. For people. Sounded like a good idea. And so they opened up their doors to the community on a weekend and got something they weren't expecting. <laughs> they got a crowd, a massive crowd, a crowd that arrived and turned into chaos. In fact, by 4 a.m., there were already people lining up outside of the church waiting for the doors to open to sign up for this offer. And as time went on, the crowd just continued to, to rush in, and one of the organizers said they rushed the building so hard that we had to shut it down. Word of mouth got around, and everything just got out of proportion. In fact, the police had to be called to the church to bring order to this chaos. You know what? And you can't blame them, right? Free food always draws a crowd. No matter who it is, free food is always going to draw a crowd. And it did in Jesus' day. And John chapter 6 is case in point. By this point in Jesus' ministry, as we get to John chapter 6, Jesus had become a bit of a celebrity. He gained a celebrity status. Wherever he went, it seemed that people would come along. They would follow him. And so one day, naturally, he just retreats with his 12 disciples to get away from those crowds. He goes over to the mountains along the side of the Sea of Galilee. 
And there they just sit down and they hang out together and spend some time talking and being away from those crowds. And guess what? They look up and here come the crowds again. A big crowd headed towards them, seeing what Jesus might do next. And so it's late in the day and the issue of food is very real as this crowd comes along. And they had come quite a ways from the city. And the other Gospels tell us that Jesus preached to the crowd. But the book of John makes the point that Jesus asked a question of Philip, one of the disciples, before the crowd even got there. And he said, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he already knew what he would do. You know, the people are hungry. And scripture tells us that there are nearly 5,000 men plus women and children in this group. And you can imagine chaos is going to break out. What do you do when you get hungry? When church goes long, <laughs> it's almost riot time, right? When, when church is going long. And we can imagine how the disciples were sitting there looking at this. And Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And in a moment, Jesus performs a great miracle. One boy, two fish, five loaves of bread. And all those people were fed that day as they divided those pieces of food up, put them in baskets. The disciples carried those baskets around and people ate to their fill just whatever they wanted, as much as they wanted, no portion size that was limited. And at the end, they gathered up all that was left and there were still leftovers. And a miracle was done that day, right? Right in front of all those people. And... The crowds, as they gathered and they looked at all this, they thought, hey, this is the best insurance, the best free lunch that we could ever have, right? Have no food? Jesus will give it to you. Are you sick? They had seen it. Jesus can heal you. And he did it out of grace. He'll take care of it for free. That will attract a crowd. What a good way to start a religion, right? If you were thinking about this, hey, here's a great way to build marketing to get a crowd around. That wasn't Jesus' point, though. So the people, though, were thinking, hey, this must be the prophet that we've been waiting for, the one who's come into the world. This must be the Messiah. And if he is the Messiah, here's what we should do. We'll make him king. And if we make him king, guess what he'll do? He'll take care of everything we could possibly need. Look at this, a great idea, and maybe he'll even drive out the Romans while we're at it. You know, we're always attracted to what will give us security in life, aren't we? What will ultimately satisfy us, because we think security equals satisfaction. Think of how much of our world drives around that idea. I mean, from retirement to savings accounts to the contracts we make to guaranteed investments, to the insurance business out there. I saw an ad the other day up on a billboard, and what did it say? Have a secure retirement. It all points to this concept of security. It's intended to take away all risk and anything that might possibly provide some instability or cause us to depend on something outside of ourselves, but rather just be taken care of, have it all buttoned down in the end. God isn't necessarily opposed to all that stuff because we're told to work hard, to save, and to, to use wisdom in our life. But as people, aren't we kind of tempted to look for security in stuff and in things and in people who will provide a security for us? In fact, we can become obsessed with it. 
I don't know about you, but as I've taken on more and more responsibility in life from the very beginning of when I got married to then adding kids to the count to then job responsibilities increasing and in life, you just begin to feel that. And one of the things that I realize in me is this tendency to find ways to button things down and eliminate risk. And as much as possible, I want things to be taken care of. Because people are depending on me. My family's depending on me. You're depending on me. Plus, on top of it, I'm materialistic too. And at times, I just want nicer things. And if somebody could provide it for me, I might look to that. It's a temptation. So back to the scriptures. As the sun was going down here, Jesus kind of sneaks away from the crowds. And the disciples had already gone down to their boat. And they wandered down there. And together they... The disciples go out onto this boat and it's dark and a storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus isn't with them in the boat as of this point. He's alone and he knows what's going on and he walks out onto the water. A miracle for only the eyes of the disciples to see. And as soon as he gets in their boat, the storm calms down. And so instantly when that storm calms down, all of a sudden they appear at land. Could you imagine being one of the disciples? This is a true story. Being one of the disciples as that happens. They've just seen Jesus feed 5,000. Then he comes walking out on water. Then all of a sudden the storm can just end. And then they can also appear right over on land just like that. A whole series of miracles. You would think that faith would just be pouring out of them at this point. And so remember this crowd that had been there. A bunch of them had gone back to the city, but... Large amounts of them had stayed outside overnight. They camped out. And so now it's morning when the portion of scripture that we just read a few minutes ago happens. And so they've been outside overnight and they're looking now for Jesus again. And John chapter 6 verse 22 tells us on the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat that the, with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So the people were seemingly doing a good thing. They were seeking Jesus. Isn't that what our series is all about here? We want to seek Jesus. Psalm 105 verse 4. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. A lot of times when I begin to seek Jesus. I find that what I set out to find in him. Is not exactly what I find. But what I end up finding is far, far greater. Far better than what I ever thought I would discover When I seek Jesus. And so that's what happens to this crowd that day. In verse 25 it says. When they found him on the other side of the sea. They said to him. Rabbi. When did you come here? And in many ways it's a very innocent question. Oh here you are. When did you get here? Jesus we didn't see you come here. But what we see on the outside of a person. Even in what they say. Is not always what's true on the inside. Remember when Samuel was speaking of David and he said, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
God has the ability to look inside each one of us and discover what our motives are, who we are as a person, what drives us, why we do what we do. It's like Jesus here had x-ray vision to see right through to the heart of the people as he begins a conversation with this crowd. And he deconstructs their beliefs. And he provides them with a better way. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Just 12 hours before, Jesus fed them. You would think that this amazing miracle would have helped them straighten out their theology, right? But it didn't. It was done as a sign, but the sign wasn't read. Signs direct us to something. Signs by God are intended to cause us to seek him, to look for him. But the people didn't see the miracle. They saw a free lunch. But before we get too hard on the crowd, come on, it was pretty cool, right? Jesus had fed them. Wouldn't you want to see it happen again? I remember when I was a kid, uh, at growing up in our church, there was this guy that was, we, we called the candy man. The candy man could also do magic tricks. Okay. So as a five-year-old, I used to go over to the candy man and he always had something new for me every week. And, and I must've been one of his favorite customers cause he always had something practiced up and he would oftentimes reach into his pocket and somehow he could pull a nickel out of my ear every single time. And I watched it and I would always say, do it again. Part of it was probably because I thought it was really neat to watch, but I also got the nickel at the end every time he did it. Verse 27, Jesus begins to turn the tables. Do not work for a food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. You know, we're often looking for the wrong kind of food. We're looking to fill our stomachs and we're oftentimes looking to the Lord for our physical issues of life. Because that's what we want taken care of. And Jesus says, don't work for food that perishes. Don't look, in other words, for what I can just give you. Look for eternal life in the Son of Man. In other words, the crowd's issue was that they were looking for what Jesus could give them. And suddenly the man who yesterday had taught them and provided for, for them speaks with just two sentences and leaves the inner person completely naked and exposed. Their motives are revealed. Why are they seeking Jesus? Because they want something from him. Why do you seek Jesus? To get physical needs met? Well, they had sought Jesus for that one reason. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody? Maybe thinking back to your past. Someone who used you for what you would give to them. A friend. Maybe a dating relationship. Someone who would just use you. It's painful when that happens. When you open up your eyes and all of a sudden you realize... Oh man, they're just using me. They want this out of me. I remember this song came to mind my mind this past week. A song that came out in 1999. Not a Christian song, but sung by the Blessed Union of Souls. She loves me for me. Anybody remember this song? She don't care about my car. She don't care about my money. And that's, that's real good cause. I, I don't got a lot to spend. But if I did, I wouldn't mean nothing. She likes me for me, not because I look like 
Tyson Breckford, with the charm of Robert Redford oozing out my ears. She's the one for me, and I just can't live without her. My arms belong around her, and I'm so glad I found her once again. Guys, relationships where we seek only what we can get from the person are not real relationships. They're shallow. Imagine when we seek Jesus only for what we get from him. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. What is your motive in following Jesus? I find my motives aren't always healthy. I find I can default back to things that I want from him. Health, a ticket out of hell, provision, change me, success. Do something in my life, Jesus. And that's the reason I'm coming after him. Susie Larson said, the desires of our hearts and the blessings of others will constantly test us. And so the word of God must be poured in to help me divide and understand what's going on in me. So I hope even as we begin today, the spirit is beginning to help you see, is there anything within you that is an impure motive in seeking God? And so the crowd came back to Jesus with a logical follow-up question. So in verse 28, they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, if it's not about us seeking what we can get from you, there must be something we have to give to you. What do you want from us, Jesus? And Jesus does something that just adjusts their thinking. I had a pickup truck once that was an old pickup that had been in a front-end accident. And we had a little problem with this pickup because it could never really get back in alignment again. No shop could really bring it back. In fact, one guy showed me when I bought it from him, he had, they had put a whole bunch of washers in one spot. I mean, this is just a makeshift way of, of fixing this. A whole bunch of washers trying to help keep it in alignment. And as we would go down the road, you could never drive that thing straight. It was all over the place, and you had to fight it to keep it in the center of the lane and uh, be going down the highway that way. Eventually, what would happen to the tires on a vehicle like that is they're going to wear out, right? The insides of those tires wore out real quickly. You know, in our faith journey, if we are out of alignment with what God wants, with what he wants from us, it's going to wear you out real fast. You're going to find that you can't endure that. It's going to be hard to continue straight down the road. It's always going to be pulling you one direction or another. And so we have to ask the question, are my motives aligned with Jesus? And here in this passage... Jesus isn't concerned with what people could bring to him. We all do it, right? God, I'll serve you. I'll give to you my money. I'll stop cussing if you'll do this or that. But he's concerned rather with something different. He's concerned with our belief. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. What kind of belief are we talking about here? Are we talking about the kind of belief where we can just register it in our minds and then kind of continue on with life? 
That's not the kind of belief Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a belief that says, I will hold on to it. It's not just a mental, mental holding on, but a belief that drives you so that you believe in Jesus to, and you fully entrust your whole being on the sacrifice of Jesus. In other words, you stake your whole life upon it, your whole future upon it. And step forward into anything that he calls you to. It's a complete surrender. It's one that takes action. It's one that says, I will depend upon this. And it's a high call. But until you surrender and come into line with what God wants, you'll be pulling against him. And he says that he offers eternal life in this belief. He offers a whole new life, a resurrecting life in this. And their response to him is so real. In fact, I can see myself in their response back. So look at verse 30 again. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, Jesus, if you'll do something cool right now, then we'll believe. It's kind of like the little boy who lays in his room at night and he says, if you'll move that piece of paper across the room, Jesus, then I'll believe that you're real. They're testing him. And it seems kind of unreal that they're saying this, though, just hours after God had, Jesus had already performed an amazing miracle by giving them food. And so just the other day, I was driving and signs kind of threw me off. That miracle was intended to be a sign, right? And so I was driving on Riverside Parkway, and I needed to then, I was going west on Riverside, and I needed to go north on 24 Road. Do you guys know where I'm talking about here? And there's a little jog that hooks around to get up on 24 Road. And I'm looking at a sign, and I see it right there. And I'm going, I should turn, and I think I should turn, but I don't really know. And uh, the sign said to, and I didn't really believe it. It seemed kind of counterintuitive to turn the opposite direction that I needed to go. In other words, guys, I missed the sign. I went right past it, and I had to go down and turn around and come back. Have you ever driven right past a sign that you may have even seen or maybe one that you didn't even notice and you were just right past it and all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, I missed it? Sometimes that results in blue and red lights behind you, and that's not a good spot to be in. But signs exist, not that we would fall in love with the sign, but to give direction to a person. That's why the sign is there, to point us to something more important. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This crowd had missed the sign that should have caused them to alter direction. They missed two signs, in fact. First one is this. They missed the point of the miraculous time in the Old Testament when manna had fallen from heaven. When the people were in need and God supplied to them more food than they could even imagine. Yet they still grumbled about it. And this manna falling from heaven is the foreshadowing of the bread of life who's to come. And they were attributing, though, the manna is coming from Moses. He must have brought it down from heaven, they reasoned. But Jesus is pointing their attention back up to the one who provided it in the first place. And then they missed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. 
It wasn't done to make them excited about the fact that Jesus could make their lives easier. It was done as a sign that would drive them to believe upon Jesus. That they would stake their lives upon him. That they would stake their physical provision on him. Forgetting about the struggle of how to get it. And instead believe upon Jesus for salvation in their very life. To seek him first. And so this begins seven times in the next several verses that Jesus talks about bread coming down from heaven. Why would Jesus repeat that so many times? Because it's important. The sign was to make them look at the source, not the stuff that came down. Get our attention off of the physical provision and onto God. We all think that miracles will make us believe and our faith will become strong just because of them. <laughs> but if we read the Old Testament, we really should know better. You know, we forget so fast. We forget what God has done so fast. Think of the Israelites when they left Egypt. They waited so long for God to act and finally he did. The plagues were done and the crossing of the Red Sea. If you had crossed the Red Sea, do you think you would believe? Do you think you'd walk out of that and be like, I will remember forever what God just did here. Psalm 106, 13 says, but they soon forgot his works and they did not wait for his counsel. Soon they were bowing down to golden calves. They were afraid to enter the land God had provided that he would give to them. And they forgot so quickly. And that sad story of forgetting is repeated over and over throughout scripture. So like the crowd, we might be looking for one more miracle before we believe. God, if you'll just do one more sign, then I'll believe. I wonder how many things God has already done in your life. I wonder how many stories you could recount if you dug into the word. I wonder how many times God has revealed himself to us, yet we're missing the sign. So I have to ask the question, will one more sign really make your faith strong? Or do you have to just go back and remember the signs that have already come? We need to look for what God has done. Because our satisfaction won't be found in a bunch of more miracles and signs. So if God doesn't want us to approach him for what he, gave, what he gives, nor for what we can give him, nor for the miracles that we think we need in order to have faith, what do we need and Jesus has just told the crowd that his father gives, him, gives you the true bread from heaven. It's not manna. It's not physical stuff. It's not another sofa in your living room that we need to seek. Because he says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Okay, so they're starting to get it. They're starting to understand bread made from yeast and flour and water is not what we really need. It might be what we crave, but it's not really what we need. So where do we get this bread that gives life? Verse 34, the crowds ask him, give us this bread. We want it. And so look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the one who's born in the city of Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, declares himself now to be the bread of life. The one who satisfies the deepest need of the human. All of your longings and cravings and can and should be fulfilled in the person of Christ. So what, or maybe we should say who, 
will ultimately satisfy you? Will it be a thing or will it be a person? Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet don't believe. All that the father has given me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so Jesus right there gives the invitation. The invitation to lean into him. And to stop looking for what we think we need in stuff. And start looking for the provision that comes from heaven. Verse 40. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks upon the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Maybe I need to say to those of you who nod your head, do you have life from the Father? Is he supplying your very life? A.B. Simpson was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. He lived over 100 years ago. And as A.B. Simpson was going through his journey with the Lord, God just kept taking him deeper. And towards the end of his life, he recalled this process that had gone on in him as he journeyed with Christ. And he said as he looked around, as he matured in Christ, he kept hearing people talk about having it. People would say they've got healing or they've got God's blessing or they want something from God. And they just kept, he kept hearing that from people. And in his own life, he prayed for it. He prayed for different things from God, what he could get from God. He said he prayed for a long time to get sanctified, and sometimes he thought he had it. And he said, and when at last I got my eyes off sanctification and my experience of it and just placed them on Christ in me, I found instead of an experience, the Christ larger than the moment's need, the Christ that had all that I should ever need, who was given to me at once and forever. He talked about seeking out God's healing, his, his help in him physically. And he said, and so I thought the healing would be it too. That the Lord would take me like an old rundown clock and wind me up and set me going like a machine. This is not thus at all. I found it was himself coming in instead and giving me what I needed at the moment. You see, what A.B. Simpson found was a step deeper. Maybe you find yourself needing to go a step deeper. It's not about what you can get from God, but it's about heaven's provision, which is found in a person, not a thing. The person of Jesus. A.B. Simpson wrote a song, a hymn, that is terribly hard to sing, but I'll just read you the words. Because it captures it. It captures the point. Once it was the blessing, and now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, and now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. Once I hoped in Jesus, now I know he's mine. Once my lamps were dying, now they brightly shine. Once for death I waited, now his coming hail. And my hopes are anchored, safe within the veil. Where are you at today? Where's your life? 
What are you seeking? Jesus, at another time, had spoken to the people and he had been talking about their desire to see physical needs met. And he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Guys, we need to seek Jesus more than we need to seek the stuff because the stuff will just come as provision as God just takes care of us. But I think at times we need to just have an adjustment in our thinking. It's really just degrees of separation, just a few degrees different, but it'll lead us to a whole different destination. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's so much better than the stuff he gives. Any gift from his hand pales in comparison to the gift of him. Do you need more of Jesus or do you need more of what he gives? Jesus offers himself to us as the bread of life. Will you take and will you eat him? Will you receive him in just like you would bread and allow him to live within you? Let's bow our heads and Jesus, we want to seek your kingdom and your righteousness first. Take our eyes off the stuff. Help us to look away from that and instead look straight at you. I am the bread of life, you said. We just want to seek you in a pure, just a sanctified, simple way, Jesus. Not with all the stuff, the clutter, the things that would distract us. We just want more of you. Help us to see you for who you are, that the Christ life might live within us. Just you.